Out of the 150 psalms, there are just three that are dedicated to a specific person. And interestingly enough, all three of them are addressed to the same man. Not written by this man, but written by other people addressed to this man. His name's Jeduthun. He was a chief musician who was appointed by King David to be a part of leading worship in Israel. David established a wonderful and intricate system of worship when he became king and established the courses and all of that. And so uh, as part of that, he appointed three of these three main guys to be chief musicians and to lead the choirs on the, in the ensembles and the corporate worship. And this guy, Jejethin, was one of them. We've been taking a look at these three psalms dedicated to him, and we've made it through the first two. They were written by David. They were Psalms 39 and 62, and we found that they are pretty intense songs dealing with profound struggles in life, but also profound truths concerning the power and the love of God. This third and final psalm dedicated to Jejuthin is number 77, and so if you have a Bible, turn that way so you can follow along. Now, Psalm 77 is not written by David, interestingly enough, but by Jejuthun's contemporary and co-worker Asaph. You've probably heard that name before, if you're familiar with the Psalter. Twelve of the Psalms were written by him. He was appointed by David at the same time as Jejuthun, only his position was not at the tabernacle of meeting. When we think of the tabernacle, that's what we're talking about, the tabernacle of meeting, where people would go to offer sacrifices. Well, that's not where Asaph was positioned. No, he was positioned at the other tabernacle, often called the Tabernacle of David in the Bible. A lot of times we don't really remember that. Under David's reign, when he brought the ark back to Israel after it had been taken captive by the Philistines and then it had been in the house of Obed-Edom for quite some time, he brings it back to Israel, but... He doesn't bring it into the regular old tabernacle. No, he sets it up in a separate tabernacle known as the Tabernacle of David. That's a whole other interesting topic that kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. Uh, But there the ark would reside until the construction of the temple under Solomon, and then both of the tabernacles would be shut down and everything would be consolidated back uh, under the temple. Now, though this last psalm addressed to Jejuthun is written by a colleague rather than a king, is no less intense than Psalm 39 or 62. In fact, Asaph writes to Jejuthun an agonizing lament psalm detailing a time when he felt utterly abandoned by God. When do you know, when do you know in your life when it's time to call the doctor? There's a lot of factors that go into that. Each of us probably has a slightly different answer or variation on that question. You know, some people are quicker to head to the doctor than others. I I did find an article today that gave 18 signs that it's definitely time to get seen, right? I thought it would be silly, but it ended up just being depressing. Uh, Things like unusual exhaustion, excessive thirst, bleeding gums out of nowhere, uh, some other things as well. It's like, hey, if these things are happening, it's time to go see the doctor, In Psalm 77, as it opens, we are going to see Asaph afflicted, and he's realizing it's time for him to get some treatment from his great physician. Unfortunately, his condition is pretty advanced and severe, and there's not going to be a quick five-minute remedy to make everything right again. We're going to take this psalm a stanza at a time, and quite honestly, for a few weeks, the text is going to be pretty discouraging as it stands alone. 
Um, But luckily, we can look ahead, and as we move through Asaph's words, we can keep in mind the truth we already know and the truth that he will realize in the end, that God is a loving shepherd and that rescue is coming. One thing that I would encourage each of us to do is, especially after our studies tonight and the next time we're together, man, read the rest of the psalm (laughs) before bed or read the rest of the psalm when you have a moment. We don't have time to get through all of those verses uh, together here in one sitting, but we certainly have time to just read these 20 verses. It reads really quickly in a matter of moments, and you can get to the, the end of things. And believe me, we want to get to the end. And so we can look ahead, and we'll keep in mind that truth, that God is a loving shepherd, and that rescue is coming. You know, God loves you, and he wants to shepherd your life. And not only is rescue coming for this world, rescue is coming for you and for me. The Lord's going to be faithful to bring us, his people, into glory, to perfect us, to make all of the wrong things right again, not just in this world or in the creation, but in your life and in my life. That's who God is, and that's what he has promised to do. And even tonight, as Asaph begins his lament, we can be encouraged by the attentive care that God gives to us when we call out to him. And so let's begin at verse one. Actually, begin at the title there. It says, to the chief musician, to Jejuthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. Asaph's cry to the Lord here is not one of praise or excitement or celebration. This isn't a shout of victory uh, by any means. Verses seven through nine of the psalm detail what's going on with their heart, and it's a, it's a bleak list of symptoms. He feels utterly separated from God's promises and his plans and his loving kindness. And in his heart of hearts at this point in the psalm, he really wonders if things will ever get better. He, he asks the question, Lord, is this how it's gonna be forever? Am I separated from you and from your promises and from your tender mercy forever? That's how he's feeling. You know, when you read through Asaph's psalms in general, just kind of page through them, a lot of them are clustered together um, here in this section of the book of Psalms, and you can kind of page and see a Psalm of Asaph, Psalm of Asaph, and kind of look at those. But as you page through those Psalms, you learn a bit about how he thought about things, and I'm thankful that uh, he was open enough to be used by God to write some vulnerable songs that show us inside his mind's eye and inside his heart of hearts because uh, they're remarkable songs. He really struggled with the fact that the wicked are often successful in this life, while the, uh, the righteous often suffer. Uh, He really struggled with that. He had a hard time with it. It's something that comes up. He lived through the reign of David, of course, experiencing all the great spiritual highs of those years, as well as the unrest. We think of when David was driven out by his son Absalom. We think of the sin of David with Bathsheba. I mean, there were definitely some dark times in David's reign as well, but certainly some high points. But then he also served under David's son Solomon. And again, Some remarkably high points, particularly at the beginning of Solomon's reign, but then Asaph lived through a shocking decline in Israel's faithfulness to God. Really shocking, a really dramatic reversal from Israel under David to Israel under Solomon later in his reign. In fact, we have good reason to believe that Asaph's own brother, Zechariah, was assassinated by agents of Solomon under Solomon's own orders. And it seems that in addition to all of this, Asaph suffered from some sort of serious physical ailment like either kidney disease or some sort of heart condition. If you'd like to know more about Asaph you know, as a character and, and uh, one of his other psalms, 
There's a great study on the church website you can find. It's called Asaph's Foibles. I'd heartily recommend it. It looks through Psalm 73. But here he calls out to God, desperately needing help and healing and intervention. And now here's how we can be encouraged just by that, okay? I mean, it's a, it's a lament and it's a sad story here at the beginning, but we can still be encouraged by Asaph's experience, even here in the opening verse. And, and, and here's how I was encouraged. Asaph did not have some sort of special fast lane to God that the rest of us don't have access to, right? He didn't have a special hookup with God that was only set aside for certain special people. I mean, we look at his life. He was a gifted man, great musician, great leader. He was a faithful man. He was called to a remarkable service, not only to Israel, but really he had a remarkable and prominent calling in the history of God's people, right? We, we still know his name. We're still talking about his ministry and his songs and all of that. He was a chief musician, a writer of scripture. He's called a seer in the Old Testament, indicating that he had a ministry of prophecy as well. Yet all of these things did not make him immune from discouragement, and they didn't class him separately from any other of God's people, any other believer, right? This is really important. He had a prominent calling as far as the, the human way of thinking is concerned, right? We know his name. He's a famous uh, servant of God. A prominent calling, sure, but his struggles were the same and his access was the same. Actually, we know that through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you and I have greater access to communion with God at any time than Asaph had for his whole life. You know, he lived with the veil of separation, separating him from God. He wasn't the high priest. He could never enter in past that veil. He could only go so far. And we have a greater access to communion with God through the Holy Spirit. The hope we have, Hebrews says, enters be the presence behind the veil. And so you know, as we look at this, these verses, don't allow yourself to think that God puts a few super saints, a few extra special celebrity believers, you know, onto his varsity team, and then the rest of us are left on JV or just cut altogether. That's not how God operates at all. It's just not true. There are some, and we're told in the Bible, hey, it's possible for us to be believers and yet quench the Holy Spirit, right? Or to not walk in his power or not walk worthy and to sort of fall short of what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And we see lots of examples of how that can happen and how we can set ourselves back when it comes to our spiritual lives with the Lord. But uh, the same spirit is made available to all of us, whether we have a prominent calling to serve the Lord or whether we have a, a very not prominent calling. And so we all have the same access, it's all the same spirit, it's all the same hope that enters behind the veil, made available to you and to me. And so uh, I, I take great encouragement from that. Now notice what God did for Asaph at the end of this verse, since we're talking about the access we have and what it means to be a believer and a servant of the Lord. Well, let's see what the Lord did for Asaph. Look at the end of verse one, he gave ear to me. Now, that's a game-changing statement. I mean, that's, that's a kind of statement that changes the reality of the human experience, if we think about it. Now, I, I find I just take it for granted. Oh, yeah, God, God hears when I call. God hears my prayers. Of course he does. 
But this is a radical and life-changing set of words, an incredible phrase that we should sort of stop and meditate upon from time to time, that the Lord God of heaven and earth gives ear to us. It's an incredible reality. God not only can hear you, but he gives his ear to you. He gives you his attention. He leans down from heaven, right, to hear what you have to say. A friend of mine recently had to fly back east for a conference, and he was in Chicago O'Hare Airport, and he saw Forrest Whitaker, okay, the actor from Rogue One and whatever else Forrest Whitaker's in, (laughs) Rogue One. He saw Forrest Whitaker, so he sent me a picture that he took of him and Forrest Whitaker, and he said hello and everything, but you know what my friend didn't do? Uh, What he didn't do was say, can I now have your personal phone number, Forrest Whitaker, because I'd like to talk to you again. Well, the finger's going on the mace if you, if you do something like that. Of course not. I mean, a celebrity isn't going to give you their personal phone number, right? Uh, they might give you a selfie with them if it only takes a second, and, you know, some celebrities just aren't even going to go that far. But a famous person or a prominent person on the earth, even if they're not, I mean, Forrest Whitaker's not really an A-list actor. He's just, you know, Forrest Whitaker. He's just a celebrity, but he's not going to give you his personal phone number, He's not even going to give you his agent's phone number, (laughs) right? He's just not. You're a stranger, and he doesn't want to hear from you or from me anyway. We understand that. Now, think about God outside of time and space. It's all-powerful, omniscient being, can do whatever he wants, right? And he gives, and he gives, and he gives. The Bible details all of these things that he gives to you and to me out of his own loving kindness. He gives us grace, he gives us his mercy, he gave his son so that we could live and not die. He gives his spirit, he gives us wisdom, he gives us life. Asaph comes before the Lord, and the language used there, it says he's thundering, he's roaring at the Lord. And so make no mistake, Asaph is upset. And he's accusing God, he's yelling at God, he's kind of throwing a little bit of a spiritual tantrum before the Lord. He's assuming that the Lord had deserted him and that the Lord had broken his promises and failed in some way, and he accuses God of that in the later stanzas, and yet the Lord knows what's going on, and what does the Lord do? He he still gives his ear. The Lord gave his ear to me. He paid attention. He listened. Not only should this fill our hearts with affection for God, it should also teach us that though God already knows what you are thinking and feeling, he knows what you're going to say before you say it, yet he still wants to hear from you. I mean, he knows what's going on in your heart and in my heart, but he wants to hear from you. He wants you to open your mouth and pray to him and talk with him and to praise him. He wants you to communicate with him. This is why Paul said to us in Philippians 4, verse 6, in everything, in prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God knows what your requests are. He knows what the desires of your hearts are. He knows what your thoughts are. He saw you from, from before the foundation of the world, right? But he still wants to hear from you. He wants to have that communion with you. He wants you to communicate with him. And so we don't need to wait to go to our great physician, right? Using this analogy, Asaph is clearly at a very advanced stage of dismay and just an advanced stage of sort of disease in his heart right now. He waited a long time before he brought this particular set of symptoms to the Lord. And we don't need to wait. We don't need to wait to go to the Lord. The Lord's like, hey, I'm, I'm holding an open 
appointment for you to come in at any time. My door's always open. My line's always open. I lean down my ear to hear from you. I'm, I'm ready to hear anything you have to shout, anything you have to whisper, even your groans. I've made a way by which the Holy Spirit can interpret your groans so that we can communicate with one another. That's who our Lord is. It's a, a wonderful and beautiful thing. Now, verse two continues. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. Asaph here was in some sort of personal calamity. He called it the day of my trouble. And the picture that comes to mind is of a person sort of groping in the dark, in the dark of night, trying to find a way out, trying to find their way through a maze, right? Disorientation is a theme that comes up a few times in the Psalms of Asaph. He had a hard time understanding why the things that were happening around him were happening. And that's certainly something that a lot of us struggle with. We struggle with from time to time, but it's not something we have to struggle with on a regular basis according to the Word of God. It's not a problem without a solution. You know, we look out there and we say, man, what is going on, Lord? What's going on in my life? Why is this happening? And that's normal uh, because life is hard and confusing from time to time, but it's not a problem without a solution because God has already given us the prescription to treat that particular disorder. Psalm 119, 105, among other verses, you know the verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. When you're stuck in the dark and need to find your way out, what do you need? You need a light. And the Lord says, that's absolutely right. You do need a light to navigate through this pathway and navigate through the briary parts of life. Guess what? I've given you a light, a light for your feet, a lamp for your path. Here it is. It's the scripture by which you can understand not only who God is and who you are, but what is going on and why it's going on. Now, when we find ourselves confused about life or feel as if we're in the dark, we are told to go to God's word for illumination and understanding. If you need to find light at the end of some tunnel, you are to find it in the scriptures. That's what God has said. That's what he has revealed. It is in the scriptures that God has revealed truth. He has revealed himself. And it's in the scriptures where he promises that if we seek him, we will find him. He has not forsaken those who seek him, the Bible says, but he is our refuge, especially in times of trouble. And so Asaph is going to continue on to accuse God of abandoning him and abandoning the people of Israel and breaking his promises. And the Lord says, hey, you know what? That's not true. I've given you what you need to navigate this life, and I'm walking through this life with you, and I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. In fact, I'm your refuge, especially in the day of your trouble. Now, Asaph knew these things about God in his mind and in in his theology. He knew that God is a revealer and that God is strong and that God is a savior. By his own words in his other Psalms, he said that God speaks, that God shows salvation to those who follow him, that the Lord guides and counsels Uh, and that his truths are shared from ancient times, generation to generation. Those are all things that Asaph said about the Lord himself. And so he knows these things. So what's the problem in in Psalm 77, where he's suggesting here in verse 2, hey, I've got no answer. There's no answer to these problems. Lord, you've left me in the dark. So what's the problem? Well, notice the last phrase of the verse. My soul refused to be comforted. 
I think that's a powerful phrase that we need to pay attention to. At this moment that he's describing here, it's not God who is failing to treat Asaph, it's Asaph who is refusing treatment. I don't know if you've ever refused treatment and said, yeah, I'm not doing that. But if you're in the ER and you've got all kinds of, you know, intestinal pain, they say, hey, your appendix has burst, we take this thing out through surgery or you're going to die. Not that many people are going to say, yeah, I'm not doing that. What else you got, doc? But there are other times where the doctors come in and you say, hey, I've got this kind of issue going on. What can we do? And well, we can either treat it with medicine, we can treat it with surgery, we can do this or that. And you you think, I'm going to wait and see. Let's wait a little bit and see what happens. And so there are times we understand medically where you refuse treatment. And Asaph at least owns up to it. He says, hey, I refused treatment. My soul refused to be comforted indicating that comfort came and was provided, but he said, no thanks, we're gonna stay discomforted here. He's refusing treatment. He would tell you, right, Asaph the minister would tell you if you asked him that God loves and that he rescues and that he relieves and that he listens and he leads, he's gonna say some of those things in this psalm, and yet here he acknowledges that the pain he was in had a lot to do with his refusal to follow his doctor's orders, Now, he'll get there in a few stanzas, but he's definitely not there yet in verse 2. He admits to us, if you turned back to Psalm 73, Asaph admits that he struggled with bitterness in his heart. There's a problem for him, and it makes sense why a lot of times he was just so frustrated about what he saw going on in the world around him and in his own personal life. And we should learn from Asaph's example. Keeping bitterness in our hearts is not going to help our spiritual lives. In fact, it's gonna harm them. It will distort our thoughts about God. It will distort our thoughts about others. It crowds out of our minds what we know to be true about God. And it keeps us from receiving the comforting ministry that the Lord wants to do for us. That's what's happening to Asaph. Look how it continues to affect him in verse three. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Now, we're going to find that by the end, the answer for his discouragement, the treatment for his ailment was to remember God and to meditate upon him and what he had done and on the truth of who the Lord is, the wonderful works of God. But here, as he's still upset and clinging on to his bitterness, when he starts thinking of God, it only makes him more upset leading him to then complain against God, which then made his condition worse and worse to the point that he says, man, my spirit fainted. I was done. There was no more spiritual strength left in my soul. And so uh, he's in a bad, bad spell here. And so the first stanza ends here, and we see a man defeated, but he's admitting that he's in his state because he's thus far unwilling to be encouraged and to be given treatment by God. He's just unwilling and clinging on to that anger and to that bitterness rather than trusting the Lord in this moment causes him to just get worse and worse. It saps his strength. And when he starts thinking of God at first, it just makes him angry, actually causes him to sin, to complain against God. Now, we don't want to be people who make this same choice when we face dark and troubling times in our lives right? I mean, we want to learn from Asaph's example here. 
We do have struggles in life. We do have troubles and discouragements. We should not pretend that we don't. Asaph is to be commended that he's not pretending like everything's fine all the time. You know, stuff's going down in my life and it's making me upset. He then just doesn't pivot and turn to the Lord here in the first stanza the way he should. He'll get there and it'll be a great encouragement to us. But the problem isn't that he had troubles, right? That's not the issue. The problem isn't that he was discouraged. That's normal. As Stephen Lawson wrote, no one is exempt from such shadowy valleys as we see in Psalm 77, not even the strongest saint. I mean, this is part of life. Jesus said what? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. We're going to have trouble. We can bet on it. We can bank on it. But when we find ourselves in a dark night of trouble, the answer is to cry out to God and go to the light. So Asaph had part of it, right? He, he cried out to God. He cried out to his great physician, but then he refused treatment. And it's going to take him a while to get onto God's program and realize, okay, I, I do need to be the master of my heart and the master of my mind and, uh, and take control of my thoughts and choose to believe what I know to be true. And he's going to get there. It's in the back half of the psalm. But we want to cry out to God and go to his light, which is found in the scriptures, where the Lord ministers to us and, and prescribes to us what we need in order to deal with the situations we find ourselves in. It won't always be an instantaneous fix. It wouldn't be for Asaph. In fact, as far as the end of his life was concerned, things were going to get worse before they got better for Asaph. But there was a solution available to him, Right? Looking at these words, they're discouraging for him. We feel bad for him, but we look at that and we say, you know, there was an answer for you, pal. You need to get there, and he's going to get there. It would be found in the wisdom and the leading and the shepherding of his God. And those are processes that just can take time. We don't like treatments that take a long time. I want my allergy medicine to like work one second after I take it. All this wind and stuff like that. I just feel like someone's got my head in a pillowcase, right? I want my allergy medicine to work now, not 45 minutes from now. And Asaph, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, hey, I want to solve for my spiritual ailment right now, right now, right now. And these processes that he's going to have to work through, these spiritual ministries that the Lord gives to us, I mean, they can take time. But the alternative for Asaph would be to just stay in despair. I'm refusing treatment right now. Okay, well, then you're just going to stay in the dark. You're just going to stay in despair and stay in a state of confusion. Stay seated in that bitterness and become less and less intimate with your Savior. Now, the Lord doesn't want that, and Asaph doesn't want that. But we see he's going to have to have this conversation with himself and these conversations with God and then to make decisions to remember the Lord and to go God's way and to put his trust in the Lord and to really exercise his faith, to live what we would call the Christian life, even when it seemed like it wasn't working that day. That happens to us. We think, man, this is just not working. Lord, I thought you made promises to me. I thought that if I did this, then this would happen. The Lord says, hey, look, I've made ultimate promises to you, and, and I've promised my presence to you always. I promised that I was never going to leave you or forsake you, but on days where it seems like this is not working out, okay, those are the days we need to make the choice to not be like Asaph and say, hey, this isn't working, Lord, you failed. What's the deal? 
I don't want to hear what your solution is. I, I just want you to fix this. The time then, is, the, the choice then is to say, okay, I still believe that God is a refuge in my time of trouble. I still believe that God is my firm foundation and that he is my rock. I believe that he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Those are the choices to exercise our faith, especially in the dark days of trouble. Because in the end, if we walk hand in hand with God, he will not only help us and lead us, he will receive us to glory. And there is no night there, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more separation. The ultimate answer, the ultimate cure for everything that has gone wrong in life is to walk with God and allow him to do his work in us, the work that he is faithful to complete through Christ Jesus. Medical science has come a long way, of course, over the centuries some illnesses that had no cure are now solved with simple treatments. You know, we think of things like polio or these other, you know, terrible diseases. Yeah, I just gave you a shot, you're good. We don't even have to worry about that anymore. Uh, leprosy is a good example. There's hope. I mean, leprosy is this dramatic disease, right? And this, this scourge, this, this, you know, death sentence in the Bible, for example. But, you know, you may not know it, but leprosy still exists today called Hansen's disease now. But if a person gets leprosy, there's hope for them. They just have to get the patient to a doctor and take the course of treatment. You know, in previous generations, it was like, you're a leper? Man, see ya. We'll, we'll maybe bury you at some point, but you have to go live outside of town, right? It's like Ben-Hur. They're in the Valley of the Lepers down there. But nowadays, you take a few antibiotics, you're gonna be cured. It is still an issue, uh, about 150 people in the United States are diagnosed with leprosy every year. Kind of creepy, right? And uh, right now, worldwide, 180,000 people are afflicted with it around the globe today. Now, the treatment is very straightforward. You just take some antibiotics. But it does take time. From the research I did, it usually takes between six months and a year before the issue is resolved. You'd like to be able to just say, well, I gave you a shot and now you're good and your skin's gonna be renewed and you don't have to worry about it. It's gonna be a little bit of a process. Straightforward, yes, but it's gonna be a process of time that people have to undertake. But even though it takes time, well, there's no reason to stay a leper, right? Of those 180,000 people, there's no reason for them to stay a leper other than a barrier to getting to a doctor. The good news is the World Health Organization, I found out, they will provide free treatment for all people with leprosy worldwide. But you gotta get them to the doctor, right? They have to get the information and get connected and get that treatment. And of course, they have to not refuse that treatment. Very simple and straightforward treatment, it's gonna take time and they have to get connected to the physician. That's the deal. So how can we apply all this to us? Well. First of all, here's what we know to be true. We know God loves. We know God listens. Asaph said it here. He gives. He's ready to minister to us. And from that knowledge, we are able to then put ourselves either in Asaph's place tonight or in Jejuthun's place. I mean, we're focusing on Asaph a lot, but remember, this psalm is dedicated to him. Now, if you're in Asaph's position tonight, you find yourself in struggling in some way, you find yourself confused about things that are going on in your life or spiritually you feel like you're in the dark. Maybe you're discouraged uh, or downtrodden. Go to your great physician, but don't refuse the treatment that he wants to give you. Don't refuse 
the light of the word of God that he's using to illuminate your path. We can't expect everything to be solved in five minutes, but we know that the Lord is ready to give his ear and to take us in his hand to turn, turn us from you know, darkness to light, right? To bring beauty from the ashes of our life. And so our part is to turn from bitterness and to turn from despair and instead trust the Lord's power and his faithfulness. So if you find yourself in Asaph's position, that's an application for you tonight. But remember Jejethin too. Asaph wrote up this psalm and he sent it to him. He addressed it to him and sent it over to him. Now reading these words, Jejethin would have seen that his friend was in a time of significant distress, right? And guess what he could have done in response after he read, say, the first stanza of Psalm 77? Well, he could have encouraged Asaph with the other songs he had received, Psalm 39, Psalm 62. What were those psalms all about? Refuge how God is a faithful, secure refuge for his people no matter what troubles they're facing. He could have reached out to Asaph and reminded him, hey, here's who God is. God is a rock. He is our savior. He can lift you up and fasten you securely. He has not failed. He's coming with power in his arm. Mercy belongs to him. Strength belongs to him. That's who our God is. He's a rock that can be trusted at all times. He moves on behalf of his people. These are the themes of the Psalms he had received before. And I think that's a message that Asaph would have needed to hear at some point, right? It would have been medicine to his heart. Now, so maybe you're not in a shadowy valley right now. You're walking in the light of the Lord, full of joy and satisfaction in your relationship with the Lord like David was in Psalm 62. That is great. But someone you know is trying to feel their way through the dark right now. And you can comfort them with the comfort with which you've been comforted, as Paul said, that tongue twister. You can share the songs that you've already received and learned and help that other person find their way back to the Lord and back to that place of beauty and security. And so if you're not an Asaph tonight, be a Jejethin. Either way, we remember the great grace, the power, the loving kindness of our God, the Savior, and ever-present help in time of trouble. Let's pray and then we'll sing.